Hi everyone, I'm Paul. And I'm Michelle. And you're in the, the Spooky Coop. Welcome to the Spooky Coop. Hope you're not chicken. <laughs> so we're going to start the coop today with Paul and his story. So what you got for us today, Paul? Well, first of all, before I begin my story, I want to send a warning out to the world, to anybody who lives in an area that is infested with ticks. Oh boy, yeah, that's why we haven't been on uh, our other... We missed a week because your, your beloved... Uh, person here got a wonderful tick-borne illness and has been out of sorts. Oh boy, so, it's been hard. So I, I, I'm going to warn all of you, even if you're using DEET, use it twice because it is. I wish it on no one. So oh, that's you've our, been so sick, Paul. Our, our health warning for the week. And that leads me in and in, It wasn't Lyme either. It was something different. Some other evil disease. It yes. began with It B. really makes you think that the earth hates you. Oh, God. He was so sick. High fever. It was awful. Even the doctor had to work to find out what it was. And that sort of makes a segue into my story, because it involves something that happened in the wilderness. Uh-huh. Right? As a matter of fact, mine did, too. Ah. Yep. My first story does, too. Yeah. Well, my story is about... Mike and Steve. Mike asked me to use a pseudonym for him because his story, when he first came out with it, he uh, came out, first he told all of his friends, and then he went on to a local cable news access show uh, about the paranormal and talked about his story. Oh, I missed this. I didn't hear this one. That was yeah. the one you watched when I wasn't home. And uh he, he's no. This was many years ago oh, that, okay. that he did this, and he said that uh, after that he stopped talking about it because all it did was cause trouble for him by coming out into the open about it, which is very typical of people who've reported UFO sightings, and this one was a real doozy. Wow. He and his friend, they had plans. They they both were draftsmen. They worked together. And they like to go canoeing, uh-huh. and they they love to go and out into the wilderness and do overnight canoeing camping trips. And it, it was way way back in the in the late eighties that uh, these two fellows they they made plans to go up and canoe into Algonquin Park in Ontario, mm, Canada. It's beautiful up there. Algonquin Park is a beautiful, beautiful place. It is one of the most... I have spent some time there myself, as yeah. you know, when I was a younger man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful rolling countryside. Um, they have rattlesnakes, I heard. Phil never saw... Thank goodness I never saw one while I was there. Uh, beautiful forest just covers... Blankets the whole park. It's a massive park. It's 60 miles from from west to east, and uh, a lot of it is only accessible by canoe, and uh, you have to make reservations to get in. So it's it you know you, you're guaranteed some pretty peaceful, wonderful ex- wilderness experience. So they had planned this trip for quite some time, and they're very excited to get out. And they went to a place called Rock Lake. Rock Lake is on the east side of Algonquin Park, and it's just south of Route 60 um, and south of Lake Opiongo, which is 
probably the largest lake in, in the whole park. And they went down, he said, down to the south end of Rock Lake to a point. Just There was two islands just off to the uh, southwest of them. And he, got a, they, he said they had a really nice view of the whole lake. Well, they got settled in. It, it took them all day to get down. It's a very big lake. And they got settled in, you know, set up camping, and we're having a really good time. They did some fishing, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the evening came on. They had their campfire set up, and they were sitting around, you know, just shooting the you-know-what, you know, ha- having a great camping weekend. Then he said about 10.30, something remarkable happened. He watched as... These balls of of orange lights, large balls of orange lights. He couldn't tell the size exactly. He said they weren't a basketball size. He says they were, from what he could base upon the distance, much, much larger. Isn't it odd how these people are seeing these orange lights? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they must be something. They must be something. And in this case, they were extraordinary. He said that they came in from north to south and circled the entire lake. He said he and then stopped. He said he counted them all, and there he counted approximately sixty of them. Mm-hmm. And they sat there, and he watched them. He and his buddy watched them for two, oh, for a couple of hours. He said it must have been close to two hours. And during that time the most remarkable thing happened. He watched as beams of light traveled between these different orbs or orange blobs of of glowing light Mm -hmm. back and forth. One would go to the other. Sometimes one would cross the lake and hit one on the other side as though it was some type of, of communication or pattern. He didn't know or work, or something. What did the other guy say? He he didn't elaborate too much, except that they both, you know, were in awe. Just, so the other guy saw it too. Yeah, they both did. Yeah, wow. they were they were they were absolutely astonished. They they had never. He said he'd never believed in this sort of stuff before, but after this night's experience, he became a true believer. There was no doubt in his mind, and this points to the difference between belief. And knowing, when you believe in something, that's like somebody says, you know, you know, I've I've seen such and such, or I've had this type of experience, and you you weren't there with them, and you go, you say, yeah, I believe that person, you know, you know, it's like saying, I jumped out of an airplane once. You believe the person, you don't know that they did, but you believe they're being honest with you. You believe they did, and in this instance, after seeing this, being there, experiencing tasting it, smelling it. Mm-hmm. He knew it. It was something that was ingrained in him that no, he said, nobody's ever going to take that away from me. He said, yeah. it, it's something, a truth I take with me to my death. And I've heard, we've both heard that experience a few times before for right. people. And oddly enough, that keys into my next story as well. Yeah. So he, this went on for some time, these lights going on uh-huh. and off. And then after a couple of hours of this, what was remarkable, even more remarkable was that one by one, these balls of light continued to fly to the south. Not all together, but one by one, they left the lake to the south. 
Some flew over top of them. Some flew off in the distance. Some flew off behind them. But it was one by one. Boom, 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 boom. Until they were all gone. And he, he, they were just, they were, they couldn't believe it. They said it was the most incredible experience of his life. Wow. And then what happens the next night? But the very same thing. Really? Really. <laughs> yeah. That's he amazing. said, he said the second night it happened again. And they were there for four nights in total. It was a, I guess, a five day trip they were up there for. And, uh, after the second night, he said there was nothing after that. But it happened two nights in a row on this lake. Uh-huh. And it, it, he said it was blown away. You know, and he said that the feeling when they were there, these balls of light, he said it was like they had they emitted this odd presence almost. He felt this this sense of, of joy inside and this this sort of like his whole body felt lighter. And it, he, it, it was so hard for him to articulate to people how much the experience had affected him. Wow. Well, after he came out about this, as I was saying earlier, it, uh, people initially, they were you know, very impressed with his story and they believed him. But as time went on and he spoke more about it, he found that people became tired of it. Uh-huh. Or like, oh yeah, we've heard this before. And it started to affect not only his personal relationships with people, but it also affected his employment. Oh dear. And affected his ability to gain employment because word got around where he lived. People thought he was crazy, right? You know, it was not a big community. And uh-huh. everybody sort of knew each other through the, through the region there. And so he clammed up for and stopped talking about it. It became a part of his life and his reality. And he didn't bother telling people about it anymore. Did he have to move out of the area? I don't know. He didn't, he didn't get into that at all. But he did say when he heard our story that he thought it would be an interesting, an interesting story he'd like to share with the world. As, uh-huh. Because he's, you know, he's getting older now. This was... Close to 30, maybe 30, 40? 32 years ago, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. So, what's that? 30, yeah, about 30, 30, 30 years, ago. years ago. So, he's getting older now and, and, and he's getting on with his life. And he wanted to share that with everybody. So, I, I, I told him we'd happily share an extraordinary experience like this. And um, that is my contribution this week to the Spooky Coop. Wow, that's pretty awesome. It's a pretty awesome UFO story. Yeah, thank you for sharing, and thank him for sharing with us. Oh, I I did. I (laughs) did indeed, yeah. So, Michelle, what's your story for the week? Well, actually, I have two. One's a short one, but this is my longer one. Um, And it has some of the things you're talking about. Uh, I'm going to call him Jack. I was at a little bit of a local paranormal meeting, and it had all kinds of stuff, UFOs, Mm -hmm. ghosts. uh, But this one is about um, Bigfoot, actually. Bigfoot. Yeah, Bigfoot, um, who I'd really like to meet. (laughs) If only because I figured, well... The guys who have a hard time buying shoes. yeah, Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the thing is, uh, I would really love to see a Bigfoot. I, I'm on the fence about if they exist, but I'm more towards a they exist. Mm-hmm. Cryptozoology is really something that I'm interested it's in. It's fascinating. Yeah, and in the 
form of Bigfoot, I think it would almost be crypto humanology or whatever, however you'd call that because if they exist they must be really smart not to have gotten caught or there's some sort of multi-dimensional thing going on mm-hmm. where there's some sort of uh portal or something that they know about that we don't know about right. there were those guys in seattle who recorded bigfoot talking yeah years ago and they there was a movie about them and they actually recorded it sounded like a language yeah well i, I bet they sound like olivia or <laughs> don't don't start <laughs> or Lawrence olivier when they talk yeah sorry go ahead well, my dear. well this one wasn't a very pleasant encounter oh. as far as they go um no one got hurt though mm-hmm. which was good but uh we'll talk about your idea of proof in a minute the uh, I'll call him Jack. He mm. um, it's similar to his name, but I don't want to give his real name. Mm-hmm. And I know some people are like, "Well, give his real name." But he, you know, we were in this meeting, and he didn't even want to share this story until I talked to him. But he said, "Please don't use my name." So um, Jack decided that he was going to go find Bigfoot. He's been a Bigfoot fanatic all his life since he was a child and he believed that he saw Bigfoot in his backyard. Uh, New Hampshire is very rural and a lot of people who live especially in upper state New Hampshire have wooded areas in their backyard. He believed when he was younger that he saw a Bigfoot in his backyard. Never since then he has been totally obsessed with Bigfoot. So he decided now he's in his mid-30s. He's not an old, old fellow. Mm -hmm. He's a very young, very fit fellow. And he decided to go out looking for Bigfoot. And so he packed everything up, packed all his his gear. Uh, It was just last summer. And he went out into the deep woods. And there's an area in the White Mountains, which are a mountain range, in a very, very old mountain range in the the New Hampshire area. Mm -hmm. And there are parts of this range in between the mountains that they say no one's ever explored because it's so hard to get to. And it's like between mountains and there's uh, canyons and water and it's very, very hard to get to. And he decided he was going to try because he figured it's probably where you're going to find a Bigfoot. So he went and he walked into this area and he said it was extremely difficult. When he got deep into the area, took him a few days and he got deep into the area and he set up his tent and he was planning to go further in but he set up his tent one night mm-hmm. and um that night he was sleeping you know got himself all done ate his dinner whatever he did he was talking about how he got into his tent to sleep and in the middle of the night he heard thumping around his tent and he figured it's a bear cuz there's lots of bears in those woods uh, i've and- had that happen it's it's very unnerving Right. Especially if you're by yourself. Right. There's bears, there's large raccoons, there's pumas, all kinds of wild animals you'd find in the Northeast. But he he hangs his food out on a tree. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's something you do when you hike into the woods. You take anything that would attract an animal, you hang it very high in a tree away from your tent. Absolutely. So they would go after that food and not come and eat you as food. But... 
he, or just not be able to get into it. Yeah, and so also they're not attracted to your tent. Mm-hmm. But he heard what sounded like several animals walking around his tent. Oh, boy. And he took out his bear spray and whatever he needed to get rid of them. Uh, but when he got up in the morning, he looked around him, and it wasn't uh, like animal feet. He saw what looked like incredibly large uh Hominid, is that the word? How do you say hominid? that? Hominid? The, yeah. Like human type feet, like Bigfoot feet. I, yeah, like a human foot, but. Yeah, like a human foot. Three times the size. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And he um, said that he was going to, uh, you know, that plaster cast up, but he didn't. He didn't have any. It's heavy. He wasn't going to bring plaster out there. Mm-hmm. So he took photographs. Right. And he was going to send them, like, to the internet, send them back to his house and everything, but he had no single, signal. Right, yeah. So he, but he took photographs on his phone, and he took photo, photographs with this little camera he had. Mm-hmm. And he felt really good about it. Mm-hmm. So he decided to stay there one more night and see what happens. Uh-huh. So the next night... He stayed there, but he, like, unzipped his tent just a little bit. Now, mind you, there are mosquitoes in those mountains. Now, we're in the northeast. We have, like, Paul got sick from mosquitoes, even though he was covered in deet. Technically, it was a tick. Oh, it was a tick, yeah. yeah. But we, well, we have ticks. We have mosquitoes that are so thick out here. It's ridiculous. I mean, if mosquitoes were gold, we'd all be rich. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so he made a just a little opening in his tent, and he just waited to see what happened. And he swears, he swears on his mother and his sister's head that he saw what looked like shaggy animals coming out of the woods. Wow. And he said they were shaggy, and there was a strange sort of musky smell to them. And he couldn't see them because it was pitch black, but he could see kind of see them. Um, the moonlight was filtered through the trees, so it wasn't really that bright. Mm-hmm. He had remnants of the fire. Like there was just, um, you know, was, what do you call it, embers and stuff. Right. And then he, they came closer, and he could see that they were Bigfoots. There was like three big ones and two smaller ones, like not baby ones. He thought like three adults and two sort of teenage ones or younger if ones. If he was to compare them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If he was, and they started stomping around his tent. Uh-huh. But they didn't see him. They were like making grunty, almost, he said some of them were almost like whistling sounds. And they were stomping towards his tent. And then he started uh, taking pictures with his camera. His camera didn't really make any sound. But when he started taking pictures with his iPhone, he forgot to put the picture thing on silent, and it started making that iPhone sound. Oh, boy. And as soon as he did that, they backed off. They realized he was in there, and they started kicking and stomping at the tent he was in. Wow. And he said the tent started rolling, like, it, you know, because it was just like a little 
nylon tent. Yeah. And he said it started, they pulled up the stakes and it started flopping and they were smashing it. And he started saying, no, no, I'm your friend. Don't do this. And, you know, I guess they didn't understand that. And he's like, I, I'm a human. I come in peace. And, um, but they just kept attacking him and he managed to get out of the tent because he, you know, the door, I guess they ripped right through it and he got out. And when he got out, he had dropped his phone and he dropped his camera and they smashed it and he ran into the woods. And then after when they took off, he in the morning or first light went back to see if he, if his camera and his, um, digital camera and his phone were okay especially his phone he needed it for his coordinates yeah and everything was destroyed oh even his food that was hung up and a little bit like he had a couple of uh granola bars or something with him to eat um i don't know he said he did and i was thinking that's dumb um but anyway it was totally gone wow and he made his way out, and of course we're all like, "Oh man!" Um, some some of the people there were saying, "Of course you have no proof," and other people were saying, "Oh God, if only that stuff wasn't destroyed." Some people said you should have brought it home anyway. Maybe it could have been saved. Um, what about the SD card? Mm-hmm. Um, Experience of a lifetime, right? Yep, yep. And um, but he came back. He had bruises. Uh, he had. It looked like he said he, he had pictures of his bruises. He had pictures um, when he got home. He was able to take pictures of the bruises and stuff. But um, and he said he was very shook up. He he played a film of uh, that he took um, on his computer of talking about it when he got back to his house. About and he looked really shook up. Hmm. So that was um that's fascinating. Yeah, that's what he that's said at the meeting. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. There are some more stories from the meeting. I'm going to save them for other Right. other um, It's one of those stories that you really had to be there to experience to know. Right. You know, I mean, he as looked is so really typical tra- with these things. Right. He looks so traumatized. Mm-hmm. I am uh I'm inclined to really believe it cuz as he told the story, he did quake. He mm-hmm. he and he his hands fisted up. He mm-hmm. really, really looked traumatized, mm-hmm. and um, something clearly happened something to clearly him. happened yeah. to him. Yeah, uh, we all asked him if he went back there to look for the, you know, to go yeah. back and see if the SD card was okay because he never thought of that. Mm-hmm. And he said it was a, a couple of day walk in, and of course winter had come after that, and you know no luck after something like that. Yeah, you would really need an angel to guide yeah. you to it. If, yeah, after so, a winter of that. Yeah, and this was yeah. you know this meeting was just last week, so yeah. a couple of people said I'll go with you to go back. So yeah. who knows? Right. We'll find out if they ever do, mm-hmm. and see what happens. I'll let you guys know. And the second story I have goes way back to 1732. Oh, an old historic... I love these. Yeah, this one goes back to 1732 in what is now uh, York, Maine, right off of York Beach, Maine, in the city of York, Maine, which at that point was York Village, Maine, Mm -hmm. and it was much, much smaller then. And there was a a reverend there called uh, Reverend Samuel Moody, and he was very famous in the area. And I think that if you looked him up, 
you probably find them, like in right. genealogy. There might even be people in this area who are related to him. Very, mm-hmm. very famous. He had a son, and I believe the son was named Joseph, John Joseph Moody. Now, John Joseph Moody was an interesting fellow. He went to Harvard. He got a degree in theology. And he decided to walk in his father's footsteps. And he was going to be the new minister when his father passed away. Mm-hmm. And people passed away young in those days. So eventually, after he got back from Harvard and he started a family, his father died. So he took over the church. And then he was very popular. At that point, um, you know, he would they would write their sermons. They would even buy sermons that other ministers wrote and they would copy them and they would buy other ministers would buy them almost like uh tv scripts and they would they would tell them with fire and brimstone and and it was so powerful people were amazed by them um but one day when he was hunting he accidentally shot his best friend oh and instead of telling people that he shot his best friend he ran away and he hid the fact and made it seem like some poacher in the woods shot his best friend. Uh-oh. He actually told everyone that he saw a poacher shoot his best friend. And he said that the poacher became a robber and stole all his best friend's things. Mm. You know, any gold that the best friend had, the money and everything. Right. So he stole it off his best friend and took like his rings and his everything he had. Mm-hmm. And then he buried them in the woods. Some people say in his house or under the church. But he buried them so that no one would find them and think that the poacher took them. Right. And then he started to feel guilty. So... He had a premonition. He had a premonition that his best friend was haunting him. And he couldn't face it. He couldn't face his congregation knowing that he committed murder. Even though it was an accident, he felt like he had committed murder. So he started wearing a black cloth in front of his face so no one in his church would see him and know that he was guilty. Mm. He got the reputation as being called the black kerchief man, or the black handkerchief man, depending on what where you read it. English back then was very different from now, too. Yeah, and this was the Massachusetts Bay Colony. They hadn't even um, had a revolution yet, and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. they were still... 1776 away from their yeah. from the Seven, revolution. Yeah, this is 1732, you said? So they were like... Yeah, this was... A, well, he became a minister about 1732. Oh, okay. He was born in 1700. Right. So he would walk around with this blank, black kerchief, and all of a sudden he started losing the church because people didn't want to go to Sunday service especially on holidays like Easter and Christmas and the Ascension of Mary and all mm-hmm. these, I mean, the, the uh, not the Ascension of Mary, um, well, never mind. Uh, when, you know, when Mary, when Mary was gifted with uh, baby Jesus and mm-hmm. all this stuff, they didn't want to do that 
with a man covered in black, right? Or with, with his face covered it would be in a black, bit creepy, yeah. Yeah, it was creepy, and it was kind of a downer. Mm-hmm. So he started losing his co- his congregation. They only went to his church when it was, you know, things that were dark, and or when he was, you know, he was good at giving a dark and mysterious. You're going to go to Hades, fire and brimstone. Yeah, fire and brimstone. And when he saw he was losing his congregation, it really bothered him. And he didn't want to tell anybody why. So years went by and years went by. And then he ended up on his deathbed. And people said to him, why? Why won't you take this kerchief off? You're dying. You won't take this Mm -hmm. handkerchief or whatever. You won't even take it off. And he finally confessed that every time he took it off, the ghost of his friend that he shot would come and put his face directly in front of him and tell him, you must tell the truth to your congregation Mm. that you murdered me. And if you do not tell them the truth, that you lied and that peasant man was hung because of your lie, so you murdered him too, then you will go to hell. He couldn't face it. So he went into his death, and he was buried alongside of his wife who had died before him, Mm -hmm. with the kerchief still on his face. Oh my... Because he believed that as long as he didn't look at this man, the ghost of this man, then he was safe and he would not have to go to hell. What a sad, sad life. Yeah. That's but he terrible. was he wore this kerchief so that he would not see the ghost of the man who was convicted in his stay and the man who he killed, his best friend who he killed. By accident. By accident. Ugh. And they say how? That his that his ghost still haunts the cemetery in York, Maine. Mm-hmm. So if you ever get to York, Maine, drop in at the cemetery and look for the stone of John Joseph Moody, because they say all you have to do is walk past that stone and then put a black kerchief in front of your face or a black handkerchief in front of your face, and he will come out of the grave. And he will, <laughs> and he will come out of his grave. Yeah. And either you'll feel it being pulled off your face, or you will see, or if you take it off right in front of his grave, you will see his face in front of yours. Oh my! We have that, to try that. We, we have haven't tried try. that yet, but we have On to go the try that. List. On the bucket list. So, if any of you guys out there do try it, let us know. Let us know. Put it. Put it down. Let us know. And if you have any stories you want to share with us, please do share it at spook at spookycoop dot pro uh, spookycoop at proton p r o t o n dot m e dot me not dot com dot me spookycoop at, at proton, proton dot me. Me. M-E. Okay. <laughs> we I hope you enjoyed the show, yes. and we'd love to hear from you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us. That's it's right. An absolute pleasure for the feedback. 
you know, the feedback that we get from all of you. We're grateful. And we love you guys. Have a wonderful week. Yep. And we'll see you again next time on, on the, the Spooky Coop. Coop. <laughs>